so glad you could join us with you for the next 60 minutes as we'll get to your phone calls at 201-939-4513. You can also chime in via Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. And as always, Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. We'll get to the ins and outs of OTA number one. We'll get to your phone calls along the way. We'll also have a special interview to close out the program with the editor from Vikings Update to weigh in on Mike Remmers and what he'll bring to the New York Giants. So a lot to tackle. Let's start with some news and notes, Paul, off the top. And Pat Shermer momentarily spoke to the media. And to me, one of the biggest takeaways was some of the injury news that he revealed. And this wasn't necessarily stunning, but he did confirm Nate Solder had a procedure to clean up his ankle last week. He's going to be sidelined for OTAs. He'll be sidelined for minicamp. But Every expectation is that he'll be ready and up and running for the start of training camp. So once they put the pads on, they actually play meaningful football. They'll have their left <laughs> tackle back in the mix. And Remmers is not taking part yet in activities. He's still obviously recovering from his back injury, but he is with the team. He's been in meetings. He's observing, and that is certainly a positive sign. There's no necessarily timetable of when he'll get going, but... They've got at least a lot of these guys around the team, which I think is just as important, Paul, around this time of the year because it's more of the familiarity that you're gaining with your teammates in the system, much more so than necessarily the physicality of the game, given the fact that there's no contact during this time period. Yeah, no question, Lance. I mean, when you consider this is, what, third week of May? Yep. Okay, no reason to be panicking about any of these injuries. In fact, um, just to run down all of them, uh, Ballantyne is here, yep, and they don't know how slowly he's going to come along, but he's apparently got a green light to work out and to do what he needs to do to prepare. Coach would not put a timetable on how quickly they will elevate him and give him advanced reps. Uh, we know that um, Remmers, with the back issue, uh, slowly coming along, but will be ready by training camp, according to Coach. Solder, same thing, as you said. Be ready for training camp. Had the ankle clean out. Uh, and I don't think there were any other injuries. Oh, Love was on the side with the trainers today, but seemed to be doing some stretching and moving around like he was okay. So I didn't hear anybody actually ask as to what his issue was. But he seemed fine on the side with the trainers. Also, uh, Olsen, uh, Pierre Olsen, was also uh, on the side. Uh, but again, to me... We're not talking about anything significant with any of these folks. In fact, uh, Kyle Oletta, who uh, had a knee issue uh, and had a wrap on his knee, was out there, you know, yeah. throwing passes with the quarterbacks during individuals, which, you know, I think is also a good sign for him as he tries to compete over the summer for one of the backup jobs. Yeah, he was in there rotating with Daniel Jones, with Alex Tanney and Eli Manning. So really no setback or holdback with respect to Kyle Oletta. I mean, that was out there that he had that procedure done during the course of the offseason, but the Giants are not concerned because he's immediately in the thick of things at the start of OTA number one. In terms of just pure observations, you know, Sam Beal was out there, and that to me was one of the biggest takeaways given the fact that everybody was wondering to see what he could do once he gets on the field. He was very active. He deflected a pass that Jabril Peppers ultimately intercepted mm -hmm. towards the latter part of practice, and Pat Shermer was specifically asked about Sam Beal and felt that he looked good, that they felt he was moving well before the injury, before he had the shoulder surgery last year, and they're glad to see that he essentially picked up where he left off and also excited to see what Jabril Peppers is doing out there. Also, another player that very active, very involved in practice. So some guys in the secondary certainly jumped out. And Peppers, it's also important to note, he was in the rotation, Paul, to handle punts. They had Sterling Shepard get in work. They had Corey Coleman, and they had Jabril Peppers. Those were the three main guys that were in the mix. And, you know, this is the time of the year where also maybe you get a gist of who's neck and neck or who they're at least toying with and experimenting with in that department. And they've got a number of options. You know, they had options on the roster last year, but some of the guys they didn't want to get involved because they were worried about too much on their plate with respect to the offense. This year, Coleman, Shepard, Peppers, I could see them all get opportunities, assuming everybody's fully healthy to go. Yeah, I suspect Peppers is going to be the guy. I know Fiegel certainly feels that way. Jeff Fiegel's our, our co-worker. I, I, and I, I, I understand why Peppers was an incredibly dynamic uh, punt returner in high school. And even though the numbers weren't reflective of that at Michigan, uh, he is a potential breakaway touchdown threat anytime he catches the ball on a punt return. And, I, you know, you'd be foolish not to give him a real shot 
Now, whether or not he turns out to be the guy, I don't know. But how can you not look at him because of, of his experience in doing so? Uh, I think that Coach uh, Shermer was very effusive in his praise for Peppers, as you mentioned. And I honestly thought that Sam Beal was the star of the morning. And remember now, OTAs, folks, helmets only, shirts and shorts, no pads, no contact. And the, this, the other thing is that makes this significant, it's the first time that the offense and the defense can be on the field together during the offseason. Actually, basically, it looks like flag football out there is what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> but at least they can line up against each other, which they could not do during phase one and phase two of the offseason program. So today was a significant jump in that they could actually line up against each other and run plays. And I did think that Beal, who was the starting left corner, for today's first-string defense. Opposite Janoris Jenkins. Uh, I, I just thought he was the star of the day. And, you know, we didn't really get a chance to see him but a blink of the eye last year, okay? And then he would stay on the side at practice and couldn't do anything, couldn't get on the field, couldn't do anything. He wasn't allowed. He was on injury reserve. Getting him at least in a top and a helmet and watching him line up on the field, Lance, I don't know, maybe it didn't knock your socks off. This guy has length. And you don't notice that until he actually gets out on the field and he lines up against another wide receiver. And you see the height and the length that he has. I talked to a college coach, a head coach, who played against Western Michigan when Beal was there. Okay? And he said to me, the Giants got a good one. We watched this kid on tape and scouting him. And his ball skills and his length, the way he closes, he is a real tough cookie to complete a pass against. And he said, as scary as he was on film, then we get out there on Saturday and we're playing these guys. And it's like, just forget it. Just, just forget it. Don't even throw the ball his, to his way. Now, I get it. I mean, we're talking FCS football. Okay, this is the, the Wagner Seahawks head coach I was talking to. Um, uh, Haas, as, as we call him. And, you know, that's a little different than playing in the NFL. I get that. I'm not telling you that Sam Beal's a shutdown corner. But what I am telling you is he plays big. He plays long. He's going to give people problems in this league. I, I think his skill set is really, really good. Well, he's part of this rookie class, too. It's not just three corners that they're throwing right now around on the field. It's Ballantyne, it's Love, it's Baker, and Beal's a part of that class because he had a redshirt year last year. He didn't get into a game. He was very limited in terms of his activity. So as far as I'm concerned, the Giants have four rookie corners that they are going to work sure. in to the mix this season. I think my biggest takeaway is it's encouraging to see him on the field. Whenever a player is out for an entire season, you want to make sure there's no setbacks, Paul. And well, the fact course, that he got out there, I think, is a positive sign. His legs were not the issue. So the fact that he's out on the field, you know, let's face it, it was the shoulder and the contact yeah. with that shoulder that forced him to go out. So I never had any doubt that he'd be on the field and running around like a, like a deer, which he was able to do well, today. But sometimes it's, like, it's when they... When he takes contact, how does that shoulder hold up? Were the repairs good enough that he can play the kind of football he wants to play? When he lays out and makes his first hit or he makes his That's first That's what I need to see. Yeah, how does to be he honest. bounce back? But the reason I said it's encouraging just to see him out on the field, regardless of where the injury was, is sometimes in OTAs you see medical staff saying, hey, you know, we don't want incidental contact happening here or there. I mean, I know there's no contact, but sometimes accidentally a guy bumps into another guy and you don't want to re-aggravate an injury, especially when you're not wearing pads. So yeah. the fact that they're confident that he could go out there, he could run around, he get used to everything, certainly is a big positive. And I agree. I think he was extremely active. Tony Lippett, by the way, made a nice play, too, off a deflection for an he interception. Did. I thought the secondary overall was extremely active, which tends to be the case during this time period yes. because you can only hit guys so much. So it's understandable oh, you can't that hit. secondary. Well, I'm <laughs> loose in terms of my terminology and my words. But it, it allows guys on defense, I would argue, to perhaps make a play because wide receivers are not going to be ultra-aggressive well, knowing that they're limited in terms of what they can do. That's you, my point. If you listen to the show last week that I did with Jeff Fiegels and we went into these whole OTAs, we, we tried to tell you the skill positions. It's the defensive backs, maybe the coverage skills of the linebackers, the wide receivers, and the quarterbacks. Those are the guys that you can see something with the eye test. You're not going to see much from your offensive line. You're not going to see much from no. your defensive line. You're not going to see anything about your linebackers moving forward because there's no contact. So it's only the skill position, guys, where you could tell about their movements. Now, I will tell you, Darius Slayton, who had a rough rookie minicamp when he got here, 
in terms of his consistency and holding on to the ball. Had some troubles again today. Now, it's early. Who knows? But this is a guy who, you know, first impressions, he's got some work to do. Let's see how it, how it goes for him during the rest of the spring, into the summer camp, and then into the preseason games. We all know guys, and you know this as well as I do, who may not be the greatest producers in practice, but then when the lights go on, they're awesome during games. Plexico Burris was one of those guys. Awesome game day player. Practice, not so much. So, you know, David Tyree was that way leading to the Super Bowl. A horrendous practice the day before you know? the Super Bowl. So so, so I don't wanna I don't wanna get anybody concerned about Slayton other than to say that personally speaking, I don't think his practices have been his best. I, I think he would tell you he would like to put a better foot forward uh, as he tries to make this team. 888, uh, I'm getting used to my other show. Sorry, let's take that again. 201-939-4513. It's been a very long weekend. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter as well. We're going to get to your phone calls as we're recapping OTA number one. It's all presented by Coors Light. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Let's open up the lines. We get the festivities started with Sean, who is in Scranton. Sean, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? Hi, guys. Uh, long time, first time. Well, good to hear from you, Sean. I wanted to ask you guys about other reporters, like other writers. I know you can't speak for everybody on the staff there, but, like, what is your relationship with, like, guys like uh, Chris Biziano, Art Stapleton, like um, Patricia Trainers, some people that have other podcasts about the Giants? Well, I, I, where are we going with this, though? I mean, it's... I mean, is it, like, is it, like, professional, like, like friendly competition, or is it, like, uh, like a rivalry almost, like you want to be the first one to get that story or I want to get the interview, you know what I mean? I mean, no, I don't look at it at all as a competition whatsoever. Not they, at all. They happen to be individuals that cover the team and we see them on a daily basis and it's as simple as that. Like I said, I, I don't know where, what you're trying to get out of this, Sean. Um, I just want to know, like, does everybody get along with each other? Like, all in the same room together? Like, is everybody separate? Like, how does it work? We all watch practice together. Yeah. The, me- the, media, the media has an area across uh, the field or to the sideline, depends upon which field they're on. And we're all there, and we all gather as if, you know, you're watching the New Year's Eve ball come down in Times Square, and we're just <laughs> yeah. watching practice. Yeah, everybody's I mean, in it the is same what it is. area of the field. Okay, you know, I wasn't trying to get any dirt or anything. I don't want to... No, I, I'm not... Anybody, I just like was trying to get clarification on exactly where we're going yeah, with this. Yeah, I'm, I'm I mean, not I, sure I understand either. I mean, but. if you're looking for a battle royale or a WWE main event, I can tell you it's certainly not brilliant. <laughs> well, let, let's okay. put it this way. The Giants aren't cutting the roster of the media people. So it's like we're no no one's fighting to be the starter, if yeah. that's what you mean. No, I get, I get it. I understand. All right. Um, that, that's all I had. Thank Have you. a good day. Uh, you got it, Sean. Appreciate the phone call. Uh, that may be a first in the history of Big Blue Kickoff Live. <laughs> I don't think we've ever been asked the question about media rivalries or perhaps uh, where they're situated during the course of practice. But, yeah, everybody's observing from the same neck of the woods. If you're trying to get at, well, you know, why is this person reporting this and why is that person reporting that? I mean, everybody's got a different lens, a different perspective. But I sure. will tell you this. If you're going to sit here on Twitter and you're going to analyze what somebody writes in terms of completion percentage, please let, let's take the conversation elsewhere. It's absolutely irrelevant and meaningless to me of people counting the completion percentage of throws during the course of an OTA. Yeah. Although, having said that, Jones was 6 of 13 with a deflected you interception gonna, you know, during I the course knew, of the morning. And I was more than comfortable saying that knowing that you probably sent out a tweet with respect to that. Well, but, I had to. Well, okay. I didn't I mean, know that in, there was in, a gun in terms, in, in, in terms of my, my, my alter ego with, <laughs> as Giants WFAN, it is important to, to those folks that I, I do present facts as they are laid out on the field. And so that, that is the case. And he was 4 of 5 during 7 on 7s, by the way. Just so you know. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Even though I, I, I do keep track of that because I do watch every single play and I'm watching about five things on every play because that's what my experience tells me to do, I will also tell you he's 100% right, okay? Even though these are facts and these are things that happened on the field, how you weigh them and, how, and, and what credence you put into them and how much of a crumb and the big cake they are, well, that's where people get carried away. Oh, yeah. and, that, and, and, and so I have no problem telling you this is like half a crumb on, on the plate of the season. I mean, that's how minuscule this is. There will be others who are going to jump up and down and do handstands because they think every one of those incompletions or every one of those completions is like the world coming to an end. Uh, it depends on how you evaluate it and how, you, how, you, how much you think it's worth. I keep it 
but I understand in perspective it's half a crumb. And that's the key term, perspective. Exactly. As if it's indicative of what's yet to come when we get to training camp. Not at all. Practice. Means nothing. And that's my big point. You know what's another thing, not to get completely off topic, but it's related. Whenever you have an individual not show up for OTAs, and I'm not saying this pertains to anything related to the Giants, and everybody makes a big deal, the players holding out and this and that. Notice that when we get to week five or week six of the season, Paul, Nobody ever recollects the guy missing a few practices in May or June right. because once you're into the season, you're focusing on the season. So it's all, again, about perspective. Now we're yearning for information. I get it. Everybody's antsy. They want to see what the guy did in practice. Big picture, a lot of the stuff happening now is crumbs, to your point, once we get to the heart and soul of the season. Well, the, the only thing that may have any relevance at all is as these players reach phase three of the offseason program, you do like to see who's working with the starters if some of those guys well, are fine. not there because it does indicate at least going into the rest of the summer how they might be viewing the guy who deserves that next up opportunity. So, for example, Mahalik was the left tackle today with the first team while Solder is nursing the ankle thing. And Wheeler was at right tackle while Remmers is dealing with his back. Michael Thomas was the starting free safety today, while Antoine Bethay had weather issues coming in on, on, on travel. So those are, those are the kinds of things that are at least somewhat interesting because at least it tells you, because it tells those players when the coaching staff says, okay, you're next man up, you're running this drill. You know those players feel good that they're the next man up. Whether or not it holds once the season starts, well, the preseason and training camp will determine that, not what happens now in May. But at the moment, I'm sure those players who did move into the starting lineup this morning were feeling pretty good that they got the first reps. Yeah, but to your point also, the depth chart evolves and changes based on competition and how things play out. But I don't think anybody should be surprised by what you just said because all three of those players, number one, were on the roster last year. Wheeler started at right tackle. So, I mean, even if Remmers was ready to go, I wouldn't be surprised if Wheeler was working with the first team initially anyway. And Michael Thomas was always that versatile player that played in the nickel at corner last year and also got work at safety. So, once again, no stunning surprises. You would expect a guy who's been here that should have a leg up on any of the new faces that are brought in because they should know the offensive and defensive schemes a little bit better. Left out one name before, Paul Perkins, who last year was on injured reserve. Remember he had uh, the tear, pectoral tear. Uh, It was really good to see him out on the field with his teammates and running around again because it was very hard. Look, I've gotten to know Paul pretty well. Very hard for him last year to have to be on injury reserve and, and basically a lost season. He's a young kid who's got a, a family history in football. As you know, his father played college. His uncle played in the pros. This is a big deal to him. And to have to sit out last year on injured reserve with that injury was a real downer. He was real. I mean, really, really bummed. And so it's just great to see him out there running around again. Well, plus, just from a mental standpoint, Paul, you watch Wayne Goldman come in through the draft. You watch Saquon Barkley get drafted. I mean, since he's arrived on this team, he's seen a few running backs be added who are young, up-and-coming talent. Uh, Barkley, it goes without saying, given how high and he was selected and what he produced Yes, last season. So, you know, when you take all of that in, if you're another running back on the roster and you can't get on the field, yeah, I'm sure he was feeling it and saying to himself, hey, how do I get a leg up on these guys if I can't produce on the field? So if there's anybody that's extremely hungry, I'd put him right near the top of the list. The opportunity is there for him to make the roster, but he realizes there's plenty of competition as well. 201-939-4513, that is the telephone number. Let's head back to the phone lines. June is in Schenectady. June, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's on your mind? Hey, guys, that's just first time caller, long time listener. I just want to thank you guys so much for everything you guys do. Paul, I love you, man. You you make my day every day. You know, we Brooklyn guys got to stick together. Brooklyn? You know, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, man, hold on I, a minute. Whoa, whoa, June. June, June, hold on. Paul is not a Brooklyn. Paul, June, 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 hold on. Hold on a minute here. You said Paul's from Brooklyn? I'm a paisan, but I'm not from Brooklyn. I'm a paisan, man. I'm a Brooklyn man. Well, he's not a Brooklyn guy. I'm not from Brooklyn. No, no, listen. Paul, I am a paisan. Yeah, June, as as a native of Brooklyn, that's extremely disrespectful that you put Paul in Brooklyn. I'm sorry, okay? He can have Jersey. He's not having Brooklyn, okay? I'm from Brooklyn. 
He doesn't represent and so Brooklyn. Is, so is John. Okay. And John, too. So is John. I but mean, we're Paisans. Well, you it's can be okay. Paisans, but you're not Brooklynites. That's all but, I'm going to But thank you, thank you so much, though. You guys are the best. How can, we, how can we help you today? <laughs> huh? How, how can we help you today? Did you have a question, too? Yes, I do. My question is really, in all sincerity, I love what Dave Gettleman has done. I know it's not the sexy picks. I know it's not exciting, but I love what he's done. The chemistry with this new team mentality first, you know, it breaks my heart to see all these players go. Believe me, I'm a huge OBJ fan, but again, you know, sometimes you got to sacrifice for the good of the whole. And so, you know, I, in, re in reality, how far do you think this year – you know, really, I don't have my hopes up so high for this year, but with, how far do you think we can go this year, maybe next? And I'll take it off the line. Thank you guys so much for Hi, everything. June. Appreciate All right, June. Appreciate the phone man. call. Take Thanks care now. Call again, please. can't believe he said you were from Brooklyn. Oh, no, I don't know where I've that came from. I've never been so offended in my life. Look, there's a, there are a lot of paisans in Brooklyn, yeah, so I understand. But, 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 but thank you. Hey, look, here's the bottom line. The Giants are going to be a better team this year. What, what that results in, in terms of their final one-loss record, I don't think either one of us are prepared to say right now because let's, let's get the roster down first, okay? Let's get through training camp. Let's get the 53 on the field, you know, going into opening uh, week number one, and then we'll talk about a record. But I think we both agree this team has definitely improved. You could tell just by the 90 they have now compared to the 90 they had this time last year. This is a much, much deeper team. Well, there's been turnover on the roster, which tends to happen every offseason. You look at the offensive line, the addition of Kevin Zeitler, Remmers now being added to compete with Chad Wheeler. The right side of the offensive line has changed. And then the receiving core with some new faces. You added Golden Tate. I think some of the guys on the back end of the receiving core are healthy and are going to compete. Corey Coleman, a full training camp. I'm very excited to see what he could do. We talked about the four rookie corners. So, yeah, I mean, by that, just on the surface, regardless of productivity on the field, there's reason to feel as if it's going to be a different defense and there's going to be some new wrinkles on offense. But I will say this about the Giants' outlook, and I'm not one to get ahead of ourselves. I think we've got a long way to go this offseason. But if you look at the history of this division— and the turnover rate in the division, the fact that nobody's won back-to-back -back division titles since the Eagles in the early 2000s. I've said it multiple times in this program. I will continue to emphasize that. And it's not to gate the pom-poms out and make a campaign as to why the Giants could perhaps have a good season. It's strictly to point out this division is wide open. It's been wide open every single year. And it's very difficult to pick up where you left off the previous year because these teams beat each other up. There's been a lot of changes. The one thing, though, I will say is the Giants are working with probably a lot of new personnel, Paul, compared to some of the other teams in the division. Now, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. The Eagles are returning their core. The Cowboys are returning their core. I'd say the Redskins are probably closest to the Giants, Paul, in terms of turnover on the roster because of the quarterback situation, some of the new faces on the offensive line and on defense. But the Cowboys and the Eagles, the one thing you have to say is, you know, those teams that made the playoffs last year, for the most part, the coaching staffs and the rosters themselves are pretty much returning intact. Mm -hmm. And that usually helps a team at least get off to a good start in the initial stages of the season. The only thing that, that you would say on the flip side to that is when you are a team that's under reconstruction, you really should benefit from the energy and the hopeful upside of as many younger players, including younger veterans, that you can bring in. That's the one case where continuity and consistency actually isn't good. You, you don't want that because if the results haven't been very good in the past, continuity and consistency isn't going to help you. Yeah, it's you doing want the guys same thing. to push each other. There's no doubt about that. I mean, in the Cowboys and the Eagles case, they are coming off postseason. They are. Appearances. No doubt. So I think that's a little bit different. Let's head back to the phone lines. We've got Jeff in Rhode Island. Jeff, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? How you doing, guys? Hi, Hi Jeff. Okay, I got a uh, couple of comments and a question for uh, Paul. I, uh, in regard to the draft, I don't think uh, Dave Gettleman has done anywhere in, enough to uh, really improve the uh, pass rush in regards to edge rushes and so on and so forth. I, I just would have gone in a totally different direction in the draft, and uh, I would have taken Josh Allen and drafted a quarterback next year. However, Understood. We will root for uh, Mr. Jones and hope that he's successful. And, uh, Paul, I hope he plays a lot more like Sonny Jurgensen than Dave Brown. So <laughs> that's where I'm going with that. The man with the golden <laughs> arm, Sonny Jurgensen. That predates yeah. you, Lance. Well, I mean, I'm familiar with the name, and I'm, I'm certainly familiar yeah. with Dave Brown as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. I, um, 
Anyway, uh, Paul, I, I, uh, I'm kind of uh, interested in this uh, tight end we have on our roster, a free agent from Kentucky, C.J. Conrad mm-hmm. is his name. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of hoping you'll, uh, you know, kind of all bit, eyeball him a little bit as uh, time goes on because I'm, I'm interested to see, uh, you know, if he really has anything to offer us in regards to uh, at least being, uh, you know, pass pass catching tight end. Coming out of rookie minicamp, um, my thoughts were that uh, Dungy, the quarterback from Syracuse, because of the versatility he brings, he probably would have the most intriguing opportunity to be the sleeper that makes oh. this year's roster. But okay. you can't name him a sleeper only because everybody wrote about him. So then yeah. who is the, quote, sleeper? And if you listen to the show last week, my sleeper is C.J. Conrad. I think okay. that C.J. Conrad is cut out of a block of granite, okay? He is absolutely just like a block of stone when you look at this fella. He's, he moves fluidly. We've already seen him catch the ball very well uh, in the short flat. Soft hands. Seems to be very confident and assertive in his movements. Doesn't look lost out there. I'm anxious to see, once they put the pads on, how physical he is at the line of scrimmage. You know, uh, when he starts getting hit and chucked a little bit, can he break press coverage off the line? When he gets downfield, is he looking for, you know, ghosts as he tries to catch the ball, especially when he's over the middle? These are all things I'm going to be carefully looking for. But I agree with you. Right now, C.J. Conrad is my dark horse. Again, I'm disqualifying Dungy because I got a feeling Dungy is the Swiss Army knife. We talked about him with Fegels last week. He, he, he could steal a spot on this roster as a Swiss Army knife. But I think Conrad Conrad's my sleeper. Okay, so uh, just so I understand the, uh, the tight ends and the wide receivers, are, are they out there during the OTAs running all their uh, yes. patterns, et cetera? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, thank you for that, and you guys have a good day. Hi, Jeff. Appreciate the phone call. Uh, Scott Simonson was getting a lot of reps today. I mean, he was targeted multiple times from what I observed. Evan Ingram was out there. You got Red Ellison. You got Garrett Dickerson on the roster. You know, there's a number of tight ends that are returning that have a little bit more familiarity with the scheme. So, you know, Conrad is certainly a name to watch, but there's some competition at that position. And he, unlike the rest of the roster, has not been exposed to what they're doing thus far in this system. So that's something to uh, at least keep close tabs on moving forward. Every year after the rookie minicamp, I always pick a dark horse, and, I, and I'm actually got a great percentage in terms of guys making the 53 and, if not, making the practice squad. This one, this one's a hard one because there's so many bodies ahead of them who have been here before, to be honest. But that's how much I, I, I really like a lot of what I see of this guy up close and personal. So I'm still going to take a stab at it, and at the very least, I'm sure he'll be practice squad. But but I'm still going to say he sneaks onto the 53. I don't know. They're going to keep four? It's possible. You could keep four. You can't keep more than four tight ends. More than likely, you keep three. But you could keep four. I think a lot depends on also what happens with the fullback position and Elijah Penny. I think that influences the tight end spot and how many individuals at that position make the team. So that will be something that you'll have to watch for first. And remember, if the fullback can play a key role as a receiver in this offense he increases his chances of making the roster. Pat Shermer's made that clear, and Elijah Penny could do that. If they like what Penny can provide as a runner and a receiver, and he makes the roster, then in all likelihood I see three tight ends making this team, which makes the competition even tougher for a guy like C.J. Conrad to solidify a spot. 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Let's head back to the phone lines. Clay is in Brooklyn. Clay, welcome to the program. What's happening? Hey, guys. How are you today? Hi. Do uh, right. Let me say, first of all, um, that I'm near Brooklyn, as you mentioned, and I know that one of you is. I'm not going to mention any names. You know who you are, but I, I'm here to support the one that is near Brooklyn. Uh, <laughs> and I, and, but I want to also say that I'm a, a longtime Giants fan. I don't know if you guys remember Spider Lockhart. He and my sure. dad were good yep. friends from the, from the National Guard back in the 60s. No kidding. That's actually how I – yeah, that's how I became a Giants fan. Actually, he used to get his tickets to the Giants every year. Spider's son came out here to to, to uh, the facility a couple of months ago. I believe the Giants. Really? Are, yeah, I believe the Giants are working on a Giants Chronicles. Uh, you know, the MSG series, the docu. Oh, that would be amazing. The documentary series. I think they're working on a Spider Lockhart for this season, and his son came out here to the facility to to do an interview and to talk about his pop. 
And uh, it was good to meet him because uh, his his dad was one heck of a player. Absolutely. I'm, that's really amazing. I've actually never met his son. I was like six when Spider was drafted. And like, anyway, long story short, our family's kind of lost touch over the years. But while he was a giant, uh, he and my dad, like I said, my, uh, Spider was drafted in International Guard, you know, and, and he reported to my dad. So. Mm-hmm. Very nice. We, we, we lost him much too soon. He, no he question. And his wife, Irma, were friends with my mom and dad. Anyway, uh, I was wondering if I could ask uh, about the undrafted free agents, especially on the offensive line. My biggest concern is O-line, and I know that there's a lot of young O-linemen in camp. Um, Paul Adams, Big George, the shot putter, Austin Drugsma, uh, James O'Hagan, Evan Brown, et cetera, et cetera. I, I guess I haven't been to a practice since Spider was on the team when they used to practice the CW Post. So I, I can't quite envision how that is set up. Like, do all of the players practice in the same place? Or do they have, like, are they broken down into, you know, top two teams and then the, the backups are in a different part of the field? How, how do you keep an eye on those guys? I well, they, what I'm getting they break up Clay into individual drills, and then they do team drills. I mean, that's usually how the practice is structured so the wide receivers will be in one section of the field they'll do special teams offensive linemen will go off onto their own side and then during the course of practice they'll do seven on sevens 11 on 11s or whatever it may be whatever is called for on that day of practice as far as you know offensive linemen clearly it's very difficult to evaluate the offensive linemen during OTAs because they're not wearing pads there's not a lot of physical contact but in terms of some of the undrafted guys, you mentioned Evan Brown. Evan Brown was actually on the roster last year as a backup center. He's a name to watch. If they can toy with him, maybe at guard a little bit, I think Pat Shermer thinks very highly of him. You know, I don't think it's a stretch to think that he could maybe make the roster if he could prove with respect to his versatility. Uh, George Asafoadje is the seventh-round pick who they brought in, so he's not necessarily a part of this group, but he's another young guy. Nick Gates was in the mix last year. You know, right, that's a player right. certainly that I think has a legitimate shot. Those other guys that you threw out, I'll be honest with you, I think they're extremely raw, and I personally have not seen enough to give an insightful answer as to whether or not I think they're going to make strides. We're really going to have to wait to see training camp to determine you know, whether or not these guys can make a name for themselves. But the ones that I think are at least in the conversation at the backup position, Evan Brown, Brian Mahalik, who actually is a starter right now because of Nate Solder's injury, uh, Nick Gates, right. as I mentioned, the seventh-round pick, George Asafo Ajay, and... You know, that I think rounds out the group for the most part in terms of who you should be thinking about that could maybe be that seventh or eighth offensive lineman because you figure both centers in all likelihood are going to make the team, meaning Jalapio and Pulley. So that leaves, to me, two other spots that they're probably toying with. And how many guys do they keep uh, after the eight that are on the act? Like, how, how many can they keep on contract? Like for the practice squad, I'm, I'm really not sure. Well, how, 10 how guys are usually on the practice squad, and what they did was they changed the NFL rules a few years ago where usually it was, you know, if you have rookie status or less than a year, you're fine. But they expanded it where there's two spots now on the practice squad where if you have at least two years of eligibility, you can go on to the practice squad. So there's a little bit more flexibility, but normally the number is 10 on the practice squad. Gotcha. Guys, thank you so much. I hey, really you got appreciate it, Clay. Love your show. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in. And, you know, it's a fair question because, you know, Paul, you and I have had conversations when it comes to the numbers game of this roster. We were just talking about it with respect to the tight ends. You know, every year it's fluctuated. You never go into a season saying they're absolutely going to keep nine offensive linemen. They're absolutely going to keep eight. Depends on how the roster is structured. Depends on injuries, too, once they get down to the 53. But I think if you look at... This group, I don't think it's crazy to think that they'll keep at least eight. I'd be surprised if they keep seven. Would I be stunned? No, I wouldn't be necessarily stunned. But the reason why I'm using surprised as as perhaps a similar terminology here is because I think that there's substance and depth on this offensive line. And I don't think, Paul, they're going to be so quick to get rid of these players, especially if they feel some of them could play multiple roles. And we've seen how the injury bug has struck this team. I don't know if you want to risk putting a guy in the practice squad, especially if he flourishes in training camp as well as the preseason, and somebody can easily claim him off your practice squad. It's going to be eight or nine. You know, I mean, look, a lot of this is going to depend on are they going to keep that fourth tight end? Are they going to keep a fullback? Are they going to keep an extra corner because they like their young corners so much? 
Maybe they only go with three safeties because we think Julian Love may be able to go back there and play some. I mean, do you keep six or five wide receivers? There's going to be a lot of Robin Peter to pay Paul here. There really is as you try to, you know, whittle down how many you're going to keep at an individual position. This, this, this is a good problem to have. You know, you're a better team, okay? You're a higher quality team when you're fighting to steal from one position to help another. That's a good problem, okay? When you don't have to do that, you can just say, okay, we're going to keep five of these. We're going to keep six of these. We're going to keep seven of these. If it's clear cut and you don't have to worry about that, chances are you're not a very good team because the guys you're putting in those roster spots are there by default. Because there's not enough competition under Bingo. the circumstances. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I think is related to what we're talking about, and you hear this cliche more often than not, when teams are finalizing their roster, the more you can do, the better the chance you have to make the roster. But there's an extreme amount of validity behind a statement like that. Case in point, if you can play special teams and you can also play multiple positions in the secondary, yeah, your chances of making the roster are pretty good. If you can play safety, corner, and be a return guy or a coverage guy, you know, they're going to have a lot of reasons to keep you versus if you're the guy that just plays corner and you don't contribute on special teams and you don't have much experience, you're probably going to be at the bottom of the depth chart and be an edge fringe type of guy. Let's head back to the phone lines as we move along here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, which is presented by Coors Light. Len is in Columbia, Maryland. Len, what's happening? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing all right, Len. What do you got for Good. us? Um, hey, Paulie, Don Perkins. Holy cow, that's way back. That's way back in Cowboys history. Yeah, it is, but you, but you know... Uh, Paul Perkins' whole family, I haven't met Don, but I've seen the rest of his family two years ago when the Giants uh, had, I believe it was the game in Minnesota, when he had that that one long run. Yeah, Uh, I met his family downstairs in the tunnel, and my goodness, they were just beaming with pride for him. And, you know, a football family like that, you could imagine when he had the game taken away from him, how devastating that was. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Those who, but that was that was probably the start of the, of probably the start of the dynasty down there. Uh, you could associate Perkins, um, you know, with that and that and the Cowboys. Hey, listen uh, on a, on a couple other things. Lance talking about progress and Pulley too talking about progress on this team from one year to the next. For me, the real measurement is going to be, you know, how we do. Lance, you'll you'll like this. How we do in the division? I mean. Are we getting any closer to the Cowboys, the Eagles, and the Redskins? I ran, I ran some numbers. I just had some numbers jotted down since I was on hold. I was able to find them. 16 and 26 in the last seven years. One and five each of the last two years. I mean, we've got to start catching those teams. Uh, that, that, to me, is going to be the real progress. And, of course, it starts on that first night or that first day. Uh, you know, on September the 8th. And I hope, I hope we're getting closer. I hope we're getting closer. I, I don't uh, – you, you, you just think about those other three teams. Huh? You know, I, I think they just overlook us. I, I don't think they think they're worried about us at all. Len, can I ask but, you one question before you go any further? Sure. What's the one common thread throughout the entire statistical analysis that you just threw at us? Um, There's one I common know, thread. Have to help me with that, Paul. It's, 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 re- it's, re- it's, re- it's really simple. The Giants' offensive line during that entire time has always been the weaker link against those opponents in every one of those situations. Yeah, there you go. And, you know, Paul, I'll give you and Lance credit, and John, too, because I know you've talked about how you thought this was the best now that we've got the best offensive line contingent that we've had since the playoff year, and that, that's the seven years, eight years that we're talking about. Yeah, good well, point, forget Paul. the playoff yeah, year yeah, against Green point, Bay, but, but since 2011, this, this on yes. paper is the best offensive line the Giants have had yeah. since then. And if yeah. they play to their full potential, Len, it could be better than even before 2011 because if you remember, David Boss was the center, and then Kevin Booth had to come in and play because Boss was hurt. Yeah. I'll be right. honest, this line could be better than that line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, can I talk about heights and weights for a second? What do you got? Um, do, do they weigh these guys on the first day? I mean, where, where are the official weights and heights? Are we still using combine numbers? Are we going off college programs? I mean, what? Are, and let me let me just give you an example, Paulie. You you mentioned that you you thought Pulley, the center 
was looking a little bigger. And yes. I think Lance referenced Evan Brown looking a little, you know, they're also center, looking a little bigger. What, what, what does that mean? I mean, how many pounds does it, can you measure it in pounds? Probably not in height. I think they're pretty well, I don't think anybody's going to grow. They're going to stay right where they're I would say that's hard to believe. Yeah. Seniors in college. But what, what, are, there official, are there official weights? For, for example, Let you me know, grab my you, roster. Yeah, go ahead. I'm well, sorry. I mean, I'm sorry. usually at the beginning of every year, they tend to update that information. But, I mean, I don't think on a daily basis, if that's what no, you're no, looking no, for, Len. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean there. daily basis, yeah. Lance. I just thought, is there well, something pulling... that we can go by? For, for, for example, if you go to the website and, and you look at the roster, it shows, it shows, Baker, uh, it shows Baker as 180 pounds. Now, I mean, his combine weight was 188. I've seen 192 during the season. Len, here's I mean, what I know. You see, what I have here is the official roster that the Giants put out, and these heights and weights are the heights and weights that the medical staff and the trainers have taken of the players once they get here at the beginning of the spring. Police okay. listed at 308 right now. Which is what the website has, too. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure. And I, and I know the guys who run the website do their best to keep track of everything, and when the changes yes, are yes. made... Some of them do. Right? Let's be truthful. Some of them do. But anyway, go you ahead. You know, they do yeah. their best to make sure that they update it and, and try to be as accurate as they can with all that stuff. I mean, obviously. Um, but I will say, you know, when, when I talk about the heights and the weights, I either go off the combine lists that are, that are on okay. the web that are available okay. or what's here on this official roster that the Giants put out. Now, yeah. I believe when Pulley got here last year, he was just about 300 pounds. Okay. They're listing him at 308 on the roster right now, and I can okay. tell you that Hal Hunter, the offensive line coach, told me he put on approximately 10. I talked to Spencer. He agreed okay. with that assessment. And sometimes, Len, also please understand this, a guy can look with his physique, up top especially, or even in the thighs, he can look wider and thicker because he's more defined. And, yeah. and, he, and that doesn't necessarily reflect in the weight Right, number. right. Yeah, Len, yeah, what are you yeah, trying to fit you, him in a tub? Well, that, Len, that, that's good news on Pulley. I do think he did need to add a little more weight. Let me now. When when you say the roster, are you talking about the one that's on the website, Paul? I mean, no, no, I'm talking no, about the was, one I'm waving in front yeah, of you here. I don't know if you can watch it. Can you watch us? I don't know if you have right. us well, on. No, no, I'm, 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 but can, the numbers, Len, the numbers that Paul threw out also match what the website has because I have the website in front of me. So. I mean, th those numbers are no, pretty okay. much well, accurate. I, yeah, understand. I'm not yeah. arguing. I'm just looking for what would be the best representation of heights and weights on the roster today. What, should I look at the website? Yeah, I would look at the Thanks. website. I, I think the website is on point. To, I was checking as Paul was reading out those numbers. But but I will tell you this, Len. I mean, what are you doing? You're trying to fit these guys for a tuxedo here? I mean, relax. You know, they, they're going to eat. A, they're going to eat a few more well, yeah. meals before the I, season I mean, do starts you think here. Pulley didn't need more weight. I think it's to his advantage to bulk up because, let's face it, P.O. is a bigger boxcar frame than he is. Yeah. And, and if Pulley uh, wants to take that job, the one thing that he would have to overcome, if you will, is the fact that P.O. has that bigger, wider frame. So Pulley took that to heart, and during the offseason, he tried to add muscle up top yeah, so yeah, that okay. it would help right. him. But, and, and Lance, just one other point, if you still have that roster in front of you, is Baker listed at 180? I, I mean, I, I, I mean, we all knew right, he was right. slightly undersized, but one. I mean, we talk about undersized and being bigger well, but, than usual, uh, you know, all the time. I, I don't know what you're. I don't know what you're getting at. Ba Lance. Baker, well, well, Lynn, no, Lynn, I, Baker is 193 on the official roster. Okay. Okay. He's then 193. I, I probably misread it. I, I probably yeah. misread it. I thought I saw 180 and was shocked because his combine weight was a little higher than that. One, one, one other player, and that's Beal. Um, I, I'm glad he's on the field. I think he's going to be a terrific player. I just wish he'd put, if he's really sitting at 177, I wish he'd put a, you know, he, he's got to <laughs> get, he's got to get a little bigger. Too? Well, well, Len, Len, I'm not saying that heights and weights are not important, but my point is there's guys, they work out during the combine, and then they yeah. go on a different diet, and they work out differently before they come to camp. I've seen it. Like Dexter Lawrence, for example, no. was even talking about how you know he wanted to alter his weight a little bit here or there. Beal right. so, is 189. 189, Len. You, I don't the, know where the numbers... On the website roster. If I'm I not, look I'm right not now, interested in that. 189 on Beal. He's 189 on the official roster that the team hands out. This is okay, the official okay, roster, 189. Okay. I'm, 
you know, I'm, I'm starting to nitpick a little, but my question was. No, not at that all. That list that you've got, does, I don't think it, it matches the roster page. And, and I'll, go check, I'll go check as soon as we get off the well, line. Well, hey, listen. All right. I, hey, well, yeah. I'm sorry I well, bogged you down. Uh, but we'll, I'll, 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 I'll call later in the week. Thanks for taking my call. Right, Have a good call. day. Thanks so much, Wayne. The, the guys on, 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 the web, on the website of what we do here do their best to manually update these things. Here's the thing. The roster sheet that we have that comes, you know, filters down from the front office, that's manually put in, okay? And then from there, the guys who are on the website have to manually type everything yeah. in. So... You know, it's possible that something gets lost in translation or they're a little slow to update it, especially during the offseason. Relax, Len. Okay? Yeah, I would not Beal get all is 189. That's the official weight. It's okay. Well, but the other thing is you just don't know exactly where they're going to be when they come back from the month well, off too. before training camp starts. So we're getting caught up in heights and weights now, and then all of a sudden a guy comes back from working out on his own for a month. Although I guarantee you when, when we come back for training camp, Lance will not be 6'4". No, I can guarantee you that that's a safe <laughs> assumption. I may put on another body, but I'm not going to necessarily grow. I think that we've uh, been through that maturity process, unfortunately. <laughs> All hope is lost in regard to that. With that being said, oh. it is now time for us to get to an update in terms of Mike Remmers and what he'll bring to the team. Paul Dettino earlier today had an opportunity to speak with Tim Yotter, the editor of Vikings Update. Okay, Tim. Well, I guess the first question we've okay. got to ask you about Mike Remmers is this is a guy who last season at the very end of the year was dealing with a back injury. And that's really, from what we understand, the primary reason why the Vikings wound up uh, trying to redo his deal and ultimately set him free. Uh, wh what is your perception in terms of what happened and, and how he's able to deal with this kind of thing? Well, yeah, I mean, backs are always concerning because I think that's, that's the type of thing that can linger around, um, you know, whether in the background or the, or the foreground for a player's career, especially at that offensive line where you're consistently straining that thing. Um, but I, I believe that more of the issue with the Vikings had to do with um, a new offensive system that they were bringing in. And uh, last year, uh, in, in 2017, Remmers went from right tackle. 2018, moved inside to, to right guard. Uh, Brian O'Neill kind of uh, won the, the uh, right uh, tackle spot. And with the new scheme coming in this year, they were looking for really athletic offensive linemen. And, uh, you know, I think if Remmers would have been willing to take a lesser deal, he would have, uh, he would have been able to stick around and compete for, for a job in the interior. But I do think that they wanted somebody that was a little more athletic. I see Remmers as a guy who uh, really his best position, in my opinion, is right tackle. I think that's where he flourished during his career, although he's been kind of all over the place. I mean, he's played right tackle, left tackle, right guard. So I think if he can find a spot at right tackle, um, that sort of consistency will help him. Well, you, you mentioned uh, right tackle was his best spot. When he came into Minnesota back in 2017, he had given up a sack in each of the first three games, then went seven in a row without allowing a sack. Could you talk about what he brought to that Vikings offensive line when he came in? Because, as we all know, that team went deep into the playoffs, albeit at the end of the season he missed a bunch of games because of that back problem. Yeah, and, and also remember that, uh, you know, in that season they transitioned uh, to Case Keenum, who has a lot of mobility at quarterback. And so I think, I think that helped out uh, the offensive line. It, you know, it wasn't a great offensive line, especially in pass protection. And I, I think having Keenum's mobility back there helped them. The ability to scramble, get out of the pocket, and, and move around a bit helped. Um, but, I, you know, I, I just think that, that Remmers, um, you know, when he goes up against some of the bigger defensive tackles when he's playing guard, I think that hurts him a bit. Um, when he's out at right tackle, I, I think that that allows him to kind of, okay, here's the guy I've got, and he, he can match some of the power of, of defensive ends. Uh, if he runs up against quicker defensive ends, that could be a problem. But, um, you know, I, I think he's always going to be a guy, if he's at right tackle, he can be a, a solid, decent starter. I don't think you're ever going to get a Pro Bowl level type out of him. Right. but. 
uh, I think he's a you know a worthy candidate to compete for a starting job. Well, I tell people when I looked at some of the cut-ups on Remmers that to me he's not the most athletic and he's not the strongest, things that you've already alluded to. But what I call him is a scrapper because it may not be pretty. It may wind up being ugly, but most of the time he's going to keep the defender away from the ball carrier, whether it be the running back or the quarterback, and ultimately efficiency is what you want in a right tackle. Yeah, I mean, he can get out of position, but he will do everything he in his power to, to get back and at least uh, you know throw a, a defensive end deep past the, the quarterback. If the quarterback's where he should be and, and able to step up in the pocket, he can handle that. I, I think scrapper is really a good way to put it because, I mean, if you talk to him off the field, he's, he's very quiet, doesn't say a whole lot, you know, willing to talk, but... Uh, you know, he, he's not a hyper guy by any means off the field. But, uh, you know, on the field, he's a he's a high-effort guy, even if he's not a high-talent guy, I guess is a good way to put it. Jim Yotter of Vikings Update joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Jim, would you describe him as more efficient as a pass blocker or as a run blocker? I, I looked at, at some of the numbers of the Vikings rushing the football over the last couple of years, specifically when he was at right tackle. It didn't look like they ran behind him very much. Was that because of the scheme, because of the design of what they were doing, or because, quite honestly, maybe they didn't feel like that was the best asset of, of what he uh, brings to the table? Yeah, well, I mean... It... Look, last year uh, when he was at, at right guard, the, one of the big issues was, no, no, number one, I think he doesn't have the power to handle bigger defensive tackles, as I said. But also when they had John Filippo as their offensive coordinator for the first 13 games last year, they were so heavily weighted toward the passing game. Mm-hmm. And I think it really put the offensive linemen in a, in a bad spot where – uh, defensive linemen, linebackers knew that uh, you know 80% of the time here they are going to be throwing, and I I just don't think that's the way to go. I think you need a little bit better balance. Despite you know everybody saying hey the the NFL is more of a passing game. Well, I mean there when you've got Saquon Barkley, I, I think that that's really going to help out a lot of these offensive linemen. I mean <laughs> you you want to be able to run the ball and and keep the defense off balance. So. I don't think that where they ran the ball or how much they ran the ball had much to do with Mike Remmers as a player. I think it had to do with okay. different philosophies between different offensive coordinators. And that's why we ask the question, because stats don't always tell the true story for sure. Let me ask you this. Uh, what kind of locker room guy is he? We know that Pat Shermer, the head coach here, who, of course, you know as a former offensive coordinator with Minnesota, uh, we know that the Giants are very concerned about character guys and bringing the right mix of guys into the clubhouse. Dave Gettleman, of course, also knew Remmers from his days in Carolina. What what does he bring to the table that way with the intangibles? Yeah, I mean, to me, he, he's a, a very quiet, workmanlike guy. He's just going to put his head down, work, not say a whole lot. Um, you know, he's not by any stretch of the imagination, a trash talker. I don't think he's necessarily an introvert, but he's one of these guys that uh, he, he's not going to really talk unless, you know, you go talk to him. And I think that probably holds true in meeting rooms uh, among the, the different offensive linemen. I wouldn't say that, that he's going to be a guy that steps up as a big vocal leader of the offensive line, but I think he, he can be a guy that, uh, you know, is going to accept the instruction he's going to take what what pat Shermer and the offensive scheme want to get done and work at it uh he to me is a pretty typical offensive lineman head down work (laughs) don't say a whole lot you know and that that's really kind of the mo of a lot of offensive linemen well blue collar guy which as you know when the giants were in their heyday they had those kinds of guys on the offensive line in the trenches which is why i think they're really looking forward to having him play here because it gets back to the old philosophy of how Giants football used to be played. Uh, Let me ask you this. Uh, Remmers had a bit of a back problem at the end of 2017. He missed a handful of games, but then last year, until the very end of the season, it did not flare up again. 
Did you get the opinion or the the uh, information that this was a a chronic problem, or was it something that just went away and came back? What was your understanding as to how that happened, and how do you think it affected him during the 18 season when he also, as you said, changed positions and went to guard, which was not really where he suited to play. Yeah, you know, I I think the NFL in general is very uh, guarded when it comes to injuries, and I didn't necessarily notice anything that said, okay, you know, if if he's having a a bad game or a bad season, that the back had a lot to do with it. I, I think part of it was he was inside at guard last year, and that's not necessarily his best position. Um, but as I said, with, with back injuries, a lot of times it's, it's more about just managing and getting through the pain. And I think you know, NFL offensive linemen are that type, where they want to play through as much sure. pain as they can. I don't necessarily know that it, it's going to be uh, a huge hindrance, but I think it's it's probably going to be something that he deals with over the next several years. Well, of course, he did have a procedure at the end of the season and, and had to rehab for a while before the Giants were actually willing to put pen to paper. Uh, did you find at all uh, that he was durable during the two years in Minnesota in that when he wasn't sidelined and ruled out because of injury, that he was able to practice during the week. We hear all the time about veterans who are, quote, managed during the week, miss, miss practice time, and then save all their reps for the games on the weekend. Is he, has he been one of those guys? No, he, I, I would say he's a guy that is, is almost always at practice. Now, you know, you don't always know how much they do during practice, that if they're given some time off, but he was – you know, if he was going to play, he was a guy that was in there at practice. He wasn't one of these, you know, okay, I'm not going to practice until Friday, and, and now all of a sudden I'm in there and, and we're, we're going to play on Sunday. He, uh, you know, he was, he was one of those where, yeah, he would go to the training room, get things taken care of, but he was at practice working through it. All right, final question uh, about him, and it kind of relates to what I was going to finish up with, head coach Pat Shermer, who, of course, had spent time in Minnesota, uh, how much do you think that draw and that attraction drew him to the Giants? From what we heard after he asked for his release from Minnesota, he had come right to the Giants within a day or two for that visit and did not visit anybody else. D- do you suspect that was the biggest reason why he's here? Absolutely. I mean, I think he I think he played some of his the best ball of his career when he was at right tackle and an under Pat Schirmer system. I think Number one, the, the position is best for him. Number two, I think that Pat Shermer has a good understanding of you need to, to set players up uh, with your scheme to enhance their abilities and to have a good balanced attack uh, is going to help. And I, I absolutely think that Remmers appreciated what, what Pat Shermer did, not only from a scheme standpoint, but from a people management position. I think he's very good at just relating to to his players, a down-to-earth guy, and I think that resonates really well with offensive linemen especially. Well, that leads me to a Pat Shermer question, and, and we'll, we'll leave the Remmers uh, chapter to, to bed right now. Uh, Pat Shermer now has a new quarterback in Daniel Jones, first-round pick coming in here to work under Eli Manning for at least the 2019 season. Pat's known as a quarterback guru. People have said all around the league his reputation is about getting the best out of a quarterback. He did it with Case Keenum for sure. What makes him the right guy to take the Giants into that next generation of quarterback whenever it is that Daniel Jones takes the ball under center? Well, I mean, I I think that he has an understanding of whatever talent you may have, work the scheme toward that talent. Um, You know, if it's if it's Sam Bradford back uh, there, it's a completely different player than what Case Keenum brings. And what we saw when they moved to Keenum was their their offense was different. He moved him around. He got him rolling outside the pocket, trying to use him on the run a little bit more. And, you know, he, he was fairly well hamstrung with the offensive line and, and did the best he could with, with that and, and that scheme. And I think he maximized what Case Keenum brought. I mean, look, I, I, I believe that Pat Schirmer had a lot to do with Case Keenum getting a big contract after Minnesota mm-hmm. because of how Keenum played in, in 2017. And so I, I do think that it, it's part X's and O's and understanding matching talent to the scheme. 
But I, I view Pat Schumer as a really good people person, a down-to-earth guy. I mean, I look, I saw him at the Combine. We, we both flew into the Indianapolis airport at the, at the same time. We're waiting for an Uber. Pat Schirmer's out, uh, you know, waiting in the Uber line and asking complete strangers if they want to get in his Uber and take a ride, you know, to down downtown to the hotel. I mean, that's just the type of guy he is. You're right. He's so down to earth. He doesn't think of himself as like, oh, I'm this, you know, I'm this NFL head coach. Everybody should bow down to me. No, he's he's uh, he's about as uh, down to earth as it comes. Yeah, no, no question about it. You, you spelled it out perfectly. Tim Yatter, the editor of Vikings Update. We thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it. We'll see you down the road. Okay, sounds good. Thanks. All right, folks, that'll do it for this edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We are here Monday to Friday every single weekday from 12 noon Eastern time to 1 o'clock, one-hour show to talk Giants football. Jot down the number 201-939-4513 or hit us up on Twitter with hashtag GiantsChat. For Lance Meadow, I'm Paul Latino. We'll see you next time.